folks welcome back to the folkcraft revival podcast chatting once again about making things with our hands learning traditional skills and crafts and experiencing a little more of a handmade life um loving loving this week's episode hope you do as well we chatted about a a very traditional woodland craft which seems to be neglected a little bit here in the u.s um Maybe that's just my perspective of it, but looking around now, uh, paying a little more attention since we've recorded, it seems like I see this popping up a lot in the European um, green woodworking and yeah, the woodland craft type people mentioning it and, and participating in it and, and doing it and things like that. But I don't really see a whole lot of it happening in the U.S., and I'm not sure why that is. Um, historically, there's great precedence for it, but... Uh, Anyways, yeah, we're we're talking about charcoal making, and I'm I'm chatting with Rebecca Oaks about it. I I came across Rebecca um, after I looked up some stuff on charcoal making when uh, uh, I was talking with Sam Ritter uh, when we did the when I did the episode with him uh, in episode twenty eight, and he mentioned that he went to uh, he went to take an axe making class, and I, I looked that up and saw in conjunction or saw that they also run charcoal making course and i thought that sounded interesting so i just started looking into some things about charcoal making online and discovered uh that rebecca had written a book about it so i reached out to her and um she was very gracious and uh was willing to come on and and chat with us about charcoal making and her experience with it and whatever so 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 glad that i was able to connect with her and um we had a great chat so um, but yeah, anyways, I'm, I'm not sure why this doesn't seem to be as widespread in the U.S. as it does in, in like, say, the U.K. I know I would be much more actively involved in it if I lived somewhere in the eastern woodlands. Um, there's a lot more trees, a lot more wood, just in general. Uh, whether you cut them or not, it's, it would be fairly easy to source material. But even out here, I fully anticipate making a batch or two of charcoal this summer simply as a exercise and learning. Um, and because I can get a lot of scrap wood from the shop, uh, I'll take it home and, and try out a batch or two. I would especially be into it more if I, if I was a, you know, a flintlock shooter or something like that, I would be all about making my own charcoal so I could attempt to make my own gunpowder. But, um, anyways, fun conversation, really enjoyed it. Hope you do as well. Yeah. Charcoal making its uses, how to go about it. The, the kind of, she was, she was involved in, in it from a business point of view, and so uh, most of her experience has been at a level which uh, those of us doing it at home probably won't reach. But it's fun to hear about her experiences and uh, her suggestion for how to go about trying it at home or attempting it if, you, if you're interested. Yeah, this is episode 30. Any links or uh, resources mentioned during the episode will be found over at folkcraftrevival.com forward slash 30. Uh, Rebecca's website. I don't think we actually mentioned it by name during the episode. I was kind of paying attention while I edited and I didn't hear it. So uh, her website is rebeccaoaks.co.uk. You can go ahead and check it out there. And as always, if you enjoy these episodes, uh, please subscribe. We both know that I'm not super consistent about putting out episodes and it's the best way to make sure that you get notified when a new one comes out. 
and sharing with uh, other folks who are interested in in this type of craft is or in in skills traditional and and self-reliant skills um is really appreciated so i thank you thank you all for your feedback i know i've gotten a couple emails lately from folks who say they've enjoyed the podcast and uh, have recommended other guests or topics so I appreciate your feedback really really do definitely helps a lot and gives me some suggestions as to people and or topics that i hadn't uh, thought about or been exposed to before so really appreciate it now let's um let's go ahead and get started on the episode Uh, and i started by asking rebecca about her uh, coppice business she started a coppice and green woodworking business in the uh, early 1990s so I was doing um, a course um, at college and um, I was a bit at a loose end. I didn't really know where I was headed. Uh, I'd been a gardener, but I was at the students. We were asked to uh, help out at something called a Greenwood Fair, which I'd never heard of. It was early 91 and I went along. I thought that looks interesting. I'll go and help. And it was people uh, doing charcoal uh, wood turning. Um, I met Bill Hogarth, who became a real mentor for me. He was uh, making bees and brooms, and I came across coppicing. And I just thought, this this is it. This is what I want to do, you know. And so I was able to um, tailor the course really to what you know to to, to learn what I, I did my dissertation on coppicing, and I got a placement which um, allowed me to get started and uh we were restoring derelict coppice uh because you know not okay. a lot not a lot had been going on yeah uh so um when you've got really old uh stood overstood coppice there's not much you can do with it except make charcoal really because it's uh it's good for a bit of firewood but it's small scale <laughs> stuff you know so it's brilliant for making charcoal and that's when i started started uh, a sort of a love affair with making charcoal it's uh, it's one of those kind of things like alchemy you know you sort of start with one product and heat and smoke and uh you know water and 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 you come out with this other amazing product charcoal Turned into something which, um, beautiful as well yeah yeah something exactly amazing. yeah and then you sell it you know it's fantastic <laughs> Uh, so so yeah. it sounds like charcoal making was it started out as uh, a significant part of your business then right off the start it was from the beginning always um the backbone of the business was sort of firewood in the winter and charcoal in the summer because it was barbecue charcoal i was making mainly and uh, it's very seasonal obviously especially in, in britain where the summers aren't that great so yeah, yeah um it's it's a seasonal product um so I yeah I'd make um I'd make charcoal through through from sort of Easter through to bonfire night really and then have a break and just do do um firewood through the winter months but I mean they were the kind of uh yeah I call it the backbone of the business the things I specialized in was hazel coppice and hazel hurdles so the woven panels um, okay and yeah, lot, lots, lots of st- selling sticks, you know, bean poles, <laughs> pea sticks. People used to laugh at me, but get chaps coming to the house saying they wanted six sticks for this, you know, and I would uh, go out and beetle away and find them, you know. It's kind of, uh, uh, yeah, bigger of fun at times. But, um, 
I never turned a customer away. When you uh, phrase it like that, yeah, it's I was just <laughs> selling sticks. <laughs> Amazing, really. It's a funny way of putting it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I did. I mean, I've run the business for about 16 years um, up until the point where some consultant wagged her finger at me and told me that I should do no more heavy lifting. I'd got given myself quite a bad back by then. So um, very disappointing yeah. in a way to have to um, take a step back from it. But I was kind of, you know, the kind of person I was very hands on. I, I wasn't going to just sort of hang back and let someone else do it, you know, or tell tell other people what to do. I, if I couldn't do it myself, I didn't really want to continue. So I, I'd been training apprentices by then. Uh, we set up an apprenticeship scheme in Coppicing, and um, and so I had I had a really great apprentice who who took the business over and is still running it now. You know, they they set right. up it, they changed it into a co-op. So there's um, seven of them, I think, or however many there are at the moment. You know, run, running this coppice business, which is brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. So you said a lot of your charcoal in the early days was uh, for barbecues. Is that still one of the main things they're using it for? Or is that one of the main markets for charcoal in the UK? Well, it is It is in the sort of scale of what, how we're making it. I guess there's um, industrial uses, um, activated charcoal and things like that, you know, which is it's kind of another world. But for yeah. um for just sort of a, a backyard way of making um lumpwood charcoal yes um barbecues is kind of the probably the main market but um because we i mean we we import something um I probably haven't got quite got the figures in my head but you know it's, it's 90% of the charcoal that's burnt on barbecues here is imported and it's yep. not always from very sustainable sources. You know, some some of it is, some of it isn't, you know. And so we, we you know, we've tried to kind of foster a homegrown mar- um, supply chain for barbecue because it's part of managing the wood sustainably and um, it, it links in with the conservation mo- um, habitat creation and um, biodiversity. So there's, there's, there's lots of wins for getting the yeah. woods managed properly. Um, and that's the selling point then for for people to encourage them to buy um, British charcoal, you know, um, which has been um, sustainably produced. Particularly when, with a copper system, you know, you cut and come again, you know, it just keeps growing. So, you know. <laughs> that is the beautiful part about that system. Yes, brilliant, brilliant system. But uh, having said that, um, we're looking more now. I mean, I always, <laughs> I used to, you know, because when you've got barbecue charcoal, you kind of want quite big chunks, you know, you don't want all the dust. So we used to put it over a riddle yeah. and then the fines, which is the smaller particles, we used to just sort of bag up and and and, and um, I, I I stored it basically. I kind of knew there might be a value to it someday, but we can couldn't quite find the markets um, back yeah. in the sort of nineties, early two thousands, and then uh, people started getting much more into biochar. So um, small particle charcoal is is um, then put back into the soil as a soil conditioner. I mean, it can be used for all sorts. So people now who've gone on the businesses have diversified into charcoal for cosmetics and for animal feed. And I think my um, wife has a toothpaste that has charcoal. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's a, yeah. it's a big, 
sort of, um, you know, you have to keep make sure you've washed, rinsed your mouth out while you've got sort of black smile. But yeah, no, she it's, definitely it's, does. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's got all these fantastic properties. You know, um, abrasive. You know, it's got this gentle abrasion. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll talk about the properties. Yeah, you uh, you mentioned right there that uh, kind of the market you're finding for the or that they've been finding for the small stuff to find is. Mm. Um, as biochar, can can you just real quickly define what biochar is and how does that differ from normal charcoal? Um, well, there's, there's two basic things. There's a sort of uh, charcoal fines. Um, I mean, some people call it biochar. It's just just small particle charcoal. So it's literally the carbon. Um, once, you know, that is what charcoal is, it's carbon. So, um it can be added to the soil um, just as it is. Why people would do that is that it's got this kind of amazing molecular structure where it's got, it's full of pores. So it's all got these tiny spaces, um, a teaspoonful of, of activated charcoal. If you opened out all the surface area out, covers kind of two football pitches. It's phenomenal. So wow. all, that, all that kind of porosity allows it to kind of um, absorb uh, moisture and nutrients and hold them and it's got this other quality called adsorption which is uh so you've got absorption where it sucks the water in but adsorption is where it then can bond with other chemicals so it actually forms chemical bonds very easily and yep. that's so so um holds holds nutrients and um so 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 yes, these these qualities are the things that uh, make it really uh, useful in in agriculture, um, and it's been used a lot successfully with tree planting, particularly tree health. Uh, yeah. um, we're having trouble here um, with uh, spring droughts. You know, we normally are wet all the t- all the time, but we've been having these terrifically dry springs. And if you're doing tree planting, then uh, you know, unless you can do a lot of watering, you know, you're getting a lot of mortality. So adding mm. adding something like charcoal, which can hold moisture into the soil, is, is really beneficial. And um, I think it leads you to, uh, you know, people are, are, are really looking at it now. I mean, it needs more studies, but the, the studies are, are up and coming around how effective it is for carbon sequestration. So you can just get that carbon and stick it back in the soil and then it's not it's not being released not into, the, into the atmosphere yeah exactly yeah that makes sense oh, i was kind of curious because i've uh heard of biochar a number of times and mm. i've never i've it always just looked like charcoal to me but i've never known if there was something special about it or not so it is just charcoal on a on a finer ground scale and then stuck back in the soil Basically, although what I was going to uh, just differentiate was between that and something that, you know, you might might be marketed as soil improver, which um, so sometimes when if you put too much fines into your garden, you've got your vegetable plot and you bang a load on, then it's quite inert in its own uh, sense. So it can um, it, it it takes time to get charged with the um, and so it can actually rob 
nutrients from the soil while it while it sort of takes it in before the roots then get in there and get get it back out again so what okay. um so what's been developed is is a, a way of kind of charging it with nutrients so it becomes a soil improver where you've added compost or worm casts or um you know humus in other ways you know so you you're adding in nutrients and 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 allowing it to kind of um, compost for a while to, to 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 get charged with these um, all these and then put into the soil and then bingo your your crops are way, way like um, so so it can can be put in neatly but you have to just not overdo it uh, I think it's around about getting the uh, the the uh, balance right. Yeah. So that makes sense. You were just you mentioned previously that uh, it bound really tightly to other chemicals and molecules mm. and whatnot. So, so you're saying essentially that if you overdo it, it binds up all the nutrients in the soil, then your plants can't grab it. Well, there's a time lapse between um, uh, the the it being locked in and the roots then bringing it getting in there to bring it back out. Yeah, I think I think I think yeah. that's the I think that's the issue. Yeah, that's one of those things, like I said, I've always been kind of curious about because I've seen people doing biochar, mm. but I never knew exactly mm. what the difference was between it and charcoal. But No, um, I mean, a lot of people now, I, I, I was just, you know, to um, given up, you know, not, not given up, but are more focused on biochar than they are on barbecue charcoal. And so they just basically get their big lumps of barbecue charcoal and grind it down till it's the right particle size, for you know, whereas before it was the other way around, you know, it was like, well, we'll make use of it because it's a waste product. But now, yeah, you know, people actually have crushes and um, contraptions huh. for grinding it up into the smaller particle size, yeah. Always finding a new use for it. Yeah, yeah, well, it's... On, on that note, too, what, what, were, what were kind of some of the historical uses of charcoal? When did, what has charcoal been used for traditionally? Well, I mean, it goes right, 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 right back to the very first fire, I imagine, that, that humans had and, the, you know, and they were burning stuff and then using, you know, the, the residue from their fires for... Uh, artwork you know these amazing pictures in the caves 30,000 years old you know drawn with charcoal beautiful beautiful drawings so that's some of the first kind of evidence we have of um, use of charcoal but um, you can imagine they were um, using it in all sorts of ways but uh, uh, I I guess um, copper smelting probably is the first the earliest um physical evidence you know because you do need um you can't really smelt metal with just fire because uh, if you're burning wood you just don't get the heat intensity that you do if you've actually driven off all the volatiles and the 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 water basically out of out of the wood and, and and you're burning pure carbon you get that intense heat that you need for smelting so copper making and then bronze and then as you get into the iron age my goodness were they charcoaling you know they were charcoaling <laughs> on a vast scale to um to to um fire up the bloomeries um for, for iron production and um um yeah so right through the romans were massive uh, charcoal burners you know because they had all these armies and metal work and and armor to, to make um and they um and then you know we got into the sort of um 
16th century when they brought in um, blast furnaces for making iron and the, the, the scale of charcoal production really, really went off, off the scale there, the huge, huge quantities. But then they just Any kind idea, of, like, what proportion charcoal to iron you're you're talking oh like, if, you, want if, if you wanted to melt yeah if you wanted to melt say you know i don't know what scale but a ton of iron or something like that how many tons of charcoal would it take so i mentioned the robins let's go on to the blast furnaces um this is a, this is figures taken from um oliver rackham um who who's written fantastic books on on historical use of woodlands but um so uh, in the early 18th century, um, Britain, 85 sites, known sites in Britain producing um, an estimated 24,000 tonnes of iron annually. And that would use 432,000 tonnes of timber to make oh, wow. 62 tonnes of charcoal, uh, which would be required to get the 24 tonnes of iron. And this would require um, 89,000 hectares of woodland uh, felled on a 12-year cycle. So he, he was imagining, and I'm sure he was right, that, you know, that they were coppicing regularly. They were looking after the woodlands, but cutting and letting it regrow. Yeah. Um, so, so cutting on a 12-year rotation, which wouldn't have made really big, you know, probably been about right for the charcoal burning. You know, you're talking about sort of, three or four inch um were we in metric or imperial i don't know but um, <laughs> uh, yeah up to sort of 15 centimeter kind of um poles diameter poles at that age fairly um, easy to cut and haul easy to cut with hand tools hand axes and and yeah exactly but they didn't take it carry it very far because they made it actually in the woods um the woods throughout Britain uh, are just absolutely, you can't, you know, once you get your eye in, you can see the pitsteads, they leveled areas in the woods um, to, to, to make a flat platform to, to burn the charcoal on um, yeah. and, and made these amazing sort of clamps of wood built in a circular formation, you know, three or four tiers of, of, of wood high. And then that would be covered in, um, bracken or um or hay of some sort dry dry vegetable matter and then covered in um a soil mix they called it samol in the north of england it's a lovely word huh. but it's it means a kind of um sieved soil ash charcoal mix you know they would keep it it was very precious stuff because it, it actually formed a kind of breathable layer which covered yeah. the covered the the stack and um, it would get lit and then watched very carefully for, for I mean a big burn could go on for days and days and they'd stay with it in the woods in huts special huts not special they said, were just huts but they were you know they were particular to charcoal burners yeah and you said this this type of uh, firing is called a clamp. Uh, yeah, ch uh, charcoal clamp um, or um, earth burns. Um, yeah, those they're, they're the sort of. Um, I mean, pits. You mentioned pits, and pits were used probably even slightly earlier than clamps. Clamps suggest that they're kind of above ground uh, on these level platforms, but but pits that we call them pit steads, and I think that 
probably harks back to an earlier version, which where it was actually a hollow depression in the ground where the wood was put in, easier to cover because it would be less surface area. Um, I mean, this covering is all about controlling the oxygen that's getting in because um, if you've just got an open pile of wood burning, that's a bonfire, you know, and, and soon you've got a pile <laughs> of ash. So, so the key thing is that you're keeping the oxygen controlled. You need some for combustion, but you don't want it to burn away. So, so you yeah. so a pit would have been easier in some ways to control because there's less surface area, but um, but hmm. uh, equally uh, quite difficult to dig out, I suppose. And um, yeah, there would have been there would have been disadvantages to that, whereas. Um, the, the the earth burn or the clamp would was um you know you could you could you could scrape off this sample and 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 keep it you know bag it and 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 keep it for next time and bag up the charcoal that was produced that way i mean this that was done for millennia um in oh, so it sounds way. like a pretty simple fairly straightforward way of doing it yeah and I, you know you sort of mentioned about you know people having a go at home kind of thing i mean i don't I, it's, it's technical and there's a lot of skill i mean they passed on the their knowledge from generation to generation and whole families were involved you know you see pictures of the charcoal burners and it's not it wasn't just a couple of crusty old blokes it was a whole family and all the kids <laughs> and mum there you know yeah. they were all doing it um but um you, you know if if people are interest, get interested in charcoal burning, it's really rewarding to get involved in a in an earth burn because it's such a part of our heritage. Um, yeah. And in Europe, I went along to um, uh, they do have this whole celebration of charcoal burning, and they make the most immense charcoal burns and earth clamps. Um, that go on for 12 days and there's lots of feasting and uh, wow. merriment that goes with it. Uh, it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. What's the name of this festival? Oh, can't come up I with can that. Look it up. Do you remember where you it's might have to look it up. I've got it written. I will have it in here. Hang on. E -e 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 -e. I think that might be one that folks are interested in uh, learning a little more about. Yes. Okay. So the Euro, Euro, Patia Colivarine. You're going to have to cut that out because my German pronunciation <laughs> is pathetic. But it's EKV, European Charcoal Burners. Um, they're the group. And um, they're biannual meetings. So every other year, hosted by – this was hosted by Les Charbonniers du Flechtenstein – which the Charbonniers, the charcoal burners of, of Flexenstein and at Lembach in France is the one I went to. And, I'll look uh, it up and see if they have a website or something that I can point to people to avoid. Euro, as I say, E-U-R-O-P-A-I, A with two little dots over, P-A-I-S-C-H-E-R, um, Colorverines, K O L E R V E R E I N. They're a great bunch, great bunch, yeah. And I mean, amazing uh, skill uh, they have with it. I mean, we 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 tried to kind of um, resurrect uh, the, the traditional earth clamp burn, but there weren't. I mean, uh, it was. 
tenuous link with one or two people who 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 were able to talk to guys who had done it or, or remembered the fathers doing it. You know, so there was just a, a just enough link to kind of catch most of the knowledge that was needed. But um, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Uh, you mentioned just a minute ago that the main reason you'd be doing an earth clamp and covering it with dirt is to control um, oxygen levels and how much mm. oxygen got in. Can we just back up a little bit and give kind of like a framework? Like what are, what are the principles? What what needs to happen in order to create charcoal? Right. So um, anything um, that's um, kind of a living material is basically made of carbon. It's a basic thing is carbon and, and it will have other other properties in it. Well, it's basically charcoal burning is, is the technical term is pyrolysis, which is um, – uh, you apply heat, and as it warms, as as the wood, let's say wood now, it could be, I mean, it can be all sorts of, um, you know, you, you can make charcoal from, people do uh, husks, um, sewage, anything um, um, bio, biological, you know, can be made into back into carbon. But um, but for simplicity, let's talk about wood. You you. You heat the wood, and the the, the first um, it, wood is largely a lot of water. So there's a lot of water, and and so from twenty to one hundred and ten degrees, you're driving off water, water vapor. You get a lot of steam, yeah. and then um, from two hundred and seventy, uh, from one hundred and ten to two hundred and seventy degrees, you get. Um, residual water, you get the carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide, acetic acid, and methanol given off. Now, acetic acid is, is interesting because that's uh, wood vinegar, and so one of the um, early, oh. uh, yeah, no, they, 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 yeah, they were producing um, that as a as a product, so so collecting it, and then from two hundred and seventy degrees to two hundred ninety degrees C, you get exothermic decomposition of the wood so it, it starts to give off heat itself um, heat is produced and uh, and as long as the temperature is maintained the breakdown continues spontaneously so that it's hot enough to start producing its own heat exothermic and mixed gases and vapors are produced carbon monoxide hydrogen and methane some carbon dioxide and ethane as well as the water, acetic acid, methanol, acetone, and some tar. Um, and then uh, you, it goes on sort of two, 290 to 400 degrees. All the combustible gases are driven off, carbon monoxide, hydrogen, methane, lots more carbon dioxide, and condensable vapours. So um, the tars, including aldehydes, ketones, furfural, phenols, there's all sorts of things. And, and these all can be um, collected uh, with different different pr- production methods. So um, I went to Finland and watched them uh, getting tar, wood tar, you know, from, um, from wood in, in very similar sort of um, kiln-like contraptions they were using. Sorry, folks. We uh, had a little bit of audio issues right here. Uh, we lost connection and our audio blinked out for a couple of sentences. So, yeah, real sorry about that. But uh, let's jump back into it. You have to kind of exclude the oxygen, stop the process. Um, and, you know, when there's no air getting to it, you know, there's, there's, there's no 
no, it can't burn anymore. So it's it goes out, the fire goes out, and it starts to cool down. And you you do have to wait until it's really cold before you um, open up. You know, if you're talking about an earth clamp, or you know, the, the sort of successes to that, which is more the ring kilns, uh, which is you know how I used to make my charcoal mainly sealing it off to seal out the air and and let it go cold and then and then open it up and, and you you've just you know you find you know find this uh charcoal uh cold charcoal which is which is so what happens if you don't let it cool you said it's really important oh if you it. open the lid too soon and all that air gets in you know, you can have quite an explosion at times you know air the oxygen suddenly and if there's enough heat in there yeah oh, up it goes again. You get, you get okay, so it just reignite, and then it's off to ash. It's really hard to stop it at that point. I mean, okay. I'm talking here. These the description I'm giving you of burning is 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 um, as I said, either an earth clamp or a ring kiln. So ring kilns are just a way of having a metal drum of some sort that you can burn your charcoal in and you've got chimneys and you've got a lid and you can seal it down. Yeah. Um, and that's that's been the way I've, I generally have made charcoal. I'm going to talk you through a little way of doing it in a barrel in a minute. So let's come back to that. But yeah. um, <laughs> but I do want to talk a bit about retorts because it's not new technology. It's quite old technology. In fact, the first retorts came in um, uh, in, in uh, the 18th century um, for making gunpowder. Gunpowder is basically charcoal, but it needs to be really pure. You can imagine the old charcoal burners who are shoving, shoveling soil on their uh, charcoal clamps the charcoal would always be contaminated with soil and that's yeah. a, a mineral and so yeah, really dangerous with 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 gunpowder because if it's, that if it's got that mineral element then so they were looking at for ways of making a really pure charcoal that would be just carbon and and, and no no contamination and they uh, a really um fabulous chap um the Bishop of Landaff, he came up with this charcoal retort, which was uh, like a cylinder, which the, the wood was put in, and then that was heated. So you had an external heat source. And so it's kind of like you're putting it in a large pot or something that's sealed off. Basically, yes. It, it, it's uh, They were cylinders, and they would have valves, and you could actually um, collect the um we talked about acetic acid as being something that's being being produced and so that would be collected and the tars would be collected but but huh. more importantly um the the wood was was within the metal chamber and was not getting contaminated with any external things so so this this is where it's really clever you know and the retorts that they make now for um for kind of home production of charcoal, you know, there's all sorts of different scale you can do it on, but uh, it can be as basic as a sort of small oil barrel, you know. But because the uh, fire source is separate, you just need to get the process started with some heat. So you've got some sacrificial wood, which you set fire to in the firebox, and that 
some of the cunning small scale versions actually have a, a bit like a rocket stove. I don't know whether you know that where you've I got do, the yeah, we internal and have a jacket. Yeah, brilliant. So you've packed your wood round the outside in the in the in the kind of casement round the outside, and the the fire is coming up the middle chimney, central chimney, and so you get siphoning. Um, that's then heating the wood. But as the wood heats, as we already know, at a certain point the gases are produced, and these gases, instead of being sent off into the atmosphere, are recycled. And they're, they're funneled back down into the firebox and they, they are burnt. So you're using a wood gas to, to, to fire the uh, actual heat, keep the heat okay. going. Yeah. It's a, like a perfect circular system. More efficient. Yeah. Much more efficient. It's so much more efficient. And it, it's, um, it, it's much less emissions. So you're not just piling all that, that nasty stuff out into the atmosphere. You're actually recycling it and burning it and using it to fuel. And the beauty is it once the wood's completely spent, it's got rid of all those volatiles. Then there's no more gas. It, the fire goes out and the charcoal can cool down um, as, as before. But, uh, but yeah, it's really, it's really efficient. That was one question I had a minute ago when you were talking. You said uh, with the with the earth clamps and your kiln that you would you needed to shut it down once you had uh, driven off the gases and you were down to pure carbon. And uh, I was going to ask, how could you tell when you were down to pure carbon? You said this system it shuts off automatically as soon as you've driven off all the gases. Yeah, no, I mean that that's that's true um, in the in the. Um in the kiln version where the fire is in, you know, you're burning the wood in the kiln. So there's, there's fire going on inside. Um, that way you, you're, you're actually just watching the smoke. So, and similarly with an earth clamp, you're watching the quality of the smoke because, um, at the beginning, you get all this white smoke. Well, obviously, that's steam, you know, largely steam. And then it gets more and more brown and acrid. You can actually taste the tars coming off it. You know, you can see it. But finally, when when it's getting through to a completion, it goes really blue and wispy, the smoke. It's, okay. It sort yeah. of thins right down and loses all its energy. It just sort of gets very faint. Uh, and it's yeah, that's the that's the sort of skill. I mean, it is a skill, I guess. You know, You're reading the smoke. You read the smoke exactly, and you do you, you judge when it's time. And that's yeah. So if it's a ring kiln or a, a yeah, you you get the lid down, you seal it with sand, you 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 sort of pack it all the little cracks and crannies where smoke is escaping. You make sure there's no smoke getting out, and then you know there's no air getting in. Yeah. Um, so, um, and and when you open it up, you'll always get a bit that hasn't quite turned to charcoal. So there'll be some that's we call it brown ends or parchar. There's always a, a, a small proportion of that because it's it's it uh, it you're balancing not letting it get to go too far and losing charcoal to ash with not quite converting it so yeah it's quite um that's exciting you know you open the lid you don't know whether you're going to get a pile of ash you get a pile of brown ends you know or you might get a perfect burn you've got really loads of charcoal to sell you know it's it's always a it's always you know exciting moment to lift the lid and see what you've got i mean i i i haven't actually 
personally used a retort. I mean, if I was to start again today, I would hand on heart have to have to beg, borrow or steal or get a grant, whatever, you know, they're expensive kit to start with, but yeah. you get twice as much charcoal for your wood going in and there's and and oh, you're, wow. you're, you're st- it, yeah. It's a big difference in terms of efficiency because if you imagine you're actually burning some of the wood in the kiln in a ring kiln to actually keep get the heat, where it, yeah. and and you're you're losing the the volatiles, you know. So so with a retort, whereas you know you're looking at um, uh, an eight foot kiln put into two tons of wood, you get out two hundred and fifty kilos of charcoal. Um, whereas uh, a retort that uh, two tons would be half a ton of charcoal. You know, it's one to four rather than one to wow. you know one to eight, um, and so the efficiency is just just so so much better. And but a little bit boring because you know you open it, it's kind of open, it's got this perfect charcoal. It's just a sort of not quite as exciting. You know, I well, I mean, I bet people do get excited by it, but it's not quite the same. Is, is that is that pretty typical efficiency wise? Then is one to eight for the kilns you said? Well, people will tell you they can get one to six out of it, but I don't actually believe them. And it it, it does depend on how well seasoned the wood is that you put in. So you can imagine your moisture content is key. If yeah. it's if you've got quite green wood or a certain species, or you know, there then um, there's more sacrificial wood to get the heat to drive that extra water out. And it's the same yeah. with the torch. You do need to have fairly well seasoned wood to uh, get efficient, really efficient burn conversion. But um, yeah, I I even if you've got terrific wood it's hard i i don't know i don't actually believe the one to six you know maybe some people can but uh, you get extremely lucky on a real good day huh yeah you know it does vary but um as an average over many years of making charcoal i would say hand on heart it was much more like one to eight one to seven maybe if if i was being really generous but yeah. Um, yeah. When you, when you just said terrific wood, uh, if you got terrific wood, maybe what does a terrific wood look like? What's what's ideal <laughs> for charcoal making? Well, that's a good question. Um, it tends to be, uh, you know, all all the kind of waste. I was looking at the photos, um, some photos early today of the sort of wood that was going in the kiln, you know, and it would be the stuff that was really big because. Um, the fire had a firewood machine which took lovely sort of you know 12 inch diameter logs at max yeah. at 10 inch I think probably was the biggest so anything bigger than that you know it was a pain you'd have to split it or whatever and so we just bung all that in the in the charcoal kiln cut it up short <laughs> didn't chop it just cut it short you know and then shove it in or or really small stuff I mean um, and this is where we could come back round to thinking about biochar um, because there are ways also of making um, charcoal from brush and, and branch wood and really small diameter stuff, which is fine for biochar because you're not looking for big chunks of charcoal. You're happy to have the small particles. So um, yeah. I, I guess perfect wood would be 
lovely split logs, even length, all of one species. It doesn't matter particularly what species. I mean, in actual fact, it can be hardwoods, it can be softwood. Softwood has a different kind of cell structure and it tends to be um, softer, <laughs> for want of a better way of putting it. You know, it doesn't hang and hold its shape in the same way. Hardwoods have this kind of... Um, that more lignin and, and and the cell structure itself actually holds together. You, when the charcoal comes out, it looks like wood still, you know. Whereas um, okay. softwoods can be a bit more um, broken down, but yeah, you can still make charcoal from it. So um, seasoned wood of pretty similar sizes. Then it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, alder is a brilliant wood for charcoal making. It's. Um, it's not really, I don't know about your older, but ours is, you know, it's not really favoured very much for firewood because it, once it's dried out, it's very light, but that makes it a good yeah. charcoal wood. It's it, it's it's a light charcoal, so you want to be selling it by bulk rather than by weight. So, you know, that's, <laughs> that's, that's the only thing with all. If you're going to go into a business with it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it's hot, you know, it's a hot charcoal. It was one that was used for gunpowder, actually, older quite a bit because it's, really? yeah, it's a hot charcoal. I, I'm a woodworker for a profession, so I work in all a right, okay. shop. And we yeah. generate a lot of scrap cutoffs and right. waste. So I was just thinking at some point I'm going to have to bring a barrel home and yeah. attempt to turn. And most of what we build is used or uses alder. So we have a there lot of alder go. that we go through that I could, I could undoubtedly get some scraps of. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. No, that sounds ideal. Well, okay. So the home way made way of making um, just a, a bit in your backyard is to, is, I mean, yes, you can make it into a retort, but I'm not going to go there because that's too complicated for this conversation. But the simple way would be to do it in a barrel. Yep. So, you know, um, uh, 48 gallon, are they? You know, uh, oil barrel rounds. I think most of the ones around here are 50 gallon. 50. Or 55 gallon, one or the other. Yeah. That could be fine. Yeah, that sort of thing. What they need, ideally, they'd have a... Um, a metal bung rather than a plastic one. They tend to be plastic these days. doesn't matter if it is, but uh, if it's fully metal, it's better. And what yeah. I do is uh, just lay it, make sure it's not um, had volatile fuel in it. You know, a, a molasses barrel <laughs> or something is better, unless you're going to make sure it's absolutely there's nothing in there that's volatile. <laughs> what you're going to suggest you do is get an angle grinder and cut a slot in the in the and the length of it so you've, you've got it round sitting on the ground round sides out long long ways on the ground and yeah cut a cut um two two lines with an angle grinder down to make a slot about seven inches wide completely out take that out take it away so you've got to you can peering into your barrel through this slot seven inch wide slot and then um all you need to do, really, is is it's best if you're doing it on um, turf of some sort. So you know, soil. If yeah. it's the, if it's a if it's your best lawn, if it's your back lawn, then I would take some turfs off because you'll burn it. So remove those and make yourself a little bit of a trench the length of the barrel, and sit the barrel in the, in your little trench, and then into into this uh, into the barrel, you will then uh, start 
two little fires. So I tend to cheat and use those lovely eco fire lighters that are wood chip and uh, wax, you know, don't don't mind how you do it, but you can use newspaper if you like. It's just that doing it in the woods, your newspapers always damp, you know, so I, I used to cheat a bit with fire lighters, but like two little fires and get, get hold of sort of just brushy dead wood for kindling or shavings. If you're in a workshop, you know, something that will burn really easily for kindling and start the fires going. Uh, I say two because it's quite a, you know, it's, it's, it's three foot long, isn't it? A barrel like that or four, a little bit more even. And so you want to spread it out along the bottom of the fire, keep adding in more kindling. You're going to do this for about getting on for an hour, even quite a while to get a really good bed of coals burning in the bottom of your barrel. Um, okay. And if, it, if it's a bit sluggish, you can tip the tip the barrel so that it's facing into the wind a bit you know just get a bit of breeze in or get something to waft it to get it get it a bit of air extra air in there to to get it really going so this is called a free burn so this is just building heat this is what you're doing at this point and then um when you feel you've got a really good bed of coals in there got got the heat you need then you can start piling wood in all your all your bits of scraps and everything. If, if it's long, got long pieces, cut them up a bit short so that they fit in. And you can you can pretty much, as long as you've got a decent bed of coals at the bottom, you can pretty much pack the wood into there, almost up to the top, and sit back. This is where you sort of get your deck chair and your can of something cold. Relax you know, and enjoy and, the day. Exactly, yeah. You just watch the smoke rising, you know, it's it's, <laughs> it's, it's gorgeous. Um, and that's, the heat then will start to drive out the water from the wood and you'll get billows and billows of white smoke um, and steam. But equally, it'll continue to sort of heat and heat and heat and the volatiles will start to burn and then you'll, you'll, you'll start to see flames breaking out. Um, you don't want too much flaming. I mean, there's, I can contradict myself in a minute, but I'm giving you the slow version here. So this is where you keep it going quite slowly. So as it's starting to break out with flames, I would put more wood in and, 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 and sort of suppress it. And what happens with wood is as it's burning like this, is it's shrinking. You know, you're driving, driving all this stuff off. It's reducing in volume. You lose about 50% volume okay. as you, when you turn wood to charcoal. It's sinking down in, keep adding more wood. You can do that for four or five hours if you've got time. I mean, in reality, if you're working with wood, you'll be off doing some jobs while this is going on, but coming back and just popping a bit more wood on, you just don't want it to sort of start to burn away completely un, unregulated. You know, you just, you're just trying to reduce the amount of air that can get in through this seven-inch slot by keeping it fairly full of wood. But it's sinking down, and what the beauty is that it doesn't – the air can't get to it in the barrel, so um, – it doesn't disappear into ash. It's sort of – the oxygen is, is kept out by the flames on the top. And when you've had enough at uh, end of the day or you feel like you can't even get any more in, it's really getting too full. What you, This is a tricky bit. It's really heavy-duty leather gloves or something. Just lift – drag the barrel slightly towards yourself. Um, you might want to just put a few pieces of wood in sideways so that it doesn't all flop out. But you're going to turn that barrel over so that that slot is then underneath 
in your trench that you've made. Um, okay. Roll it right over, just quick over. Bit of it might spray out a little bit, but but, but you can sort of get your shovel and, and and then shovel the soil all around and just just pack it in until again you can see no no smoke sort of sneaking out. This is where you think you discover you've got a plastic bog. And, You've got a big hole in the end. <laughs> well, there you're going to need a kind of big, great big piece mm. of turf just to slap against that and make sure that there's, that's um, bunged up as well. And then sit back again and let it cool. So, um, you know, a barrel of charcoal, 50-gallon drum, two or three hours on a cool day, it will lose its heat. Um, I mean, it loses it really quickly. It's surprising. As soon as the air's not there, the fire's going out, it's losing heat, and then Makes sense again, drove off a lot of stuff, and it's not too dense anymore. Mm. Charcoal's fairly light, so yeah, it would, wouldn't retain yeah. heat super long. No, and uh, roll it back over. Get you'll have a bit of brown ends. You'll say the last bits that you put in won't have quite converted, but the bulk of it in there will be good charcoal. Good charcoal and a bit dusty. Some of it, you know, always a good idea to have a mask when you're digging out charcoal because you can <laughs> breathe a lot of lot of charcoal dust in. It's not great, but um, huh. yes, yeah, that's it. Easy as that. That sounds like a fairly simple way for folks to get started and, yeah. and try it once or twice and see what they think of it. At least, yeah, exactly. I mean, trial and error, but main yeah. main. Um, pitfalls will be not getting it hot enough to start with and then it's all sort of just doesn't ever quite go anywhere you know um uh, uneven burns so you end up with nothing fire no fire at one end and a lot at the other so those sort of things but yeah a few few goes and you'll soon crack it okay i uh i follow one guy on social media he's the only guy i follow that makes charcoal he's an artist and he makes little bits for doing sketches and whatnot and he mm. takes just like this little uh, tin box with a lid that has, he's poked a hole in it and he puts little twigs in it and throws it on a campfire and uh, fires his charcoal that way. But that's, that's the only way I've really been exposed to watching people do it or seeing people do it. So it's in- interesting. If you have a 50 gallon drum that just cut a seven inch wide slot in it and fill it with wood and burn it. Huh? Yep. That's it. Yeah, I mean, and even in there, you can put uh, wood in a, a tin. You know, you get a, um, I mean, we talk about a coffee tin or a, a golden syrup tin. I don't know what you'd have that would be similar, but just anything that's, that's you can seal. I mean, yeah. yes, you do need a couple of holes and then put put some little um, sticks in and that will, that will the tin then holds. It's, it's like a little retort within a kiln if you like so that the wood is heated rather than burning itself so um you need the hole so that the gas can get out but hmm. uh yeah no, I mean, it's, yeah it's good fun i mean i did have yeah i wrote a book on charcoal making and so I'm, I'm, and I, for that book i tried i i'd been given a recipe for making it in the oven where you actually put it in a pastry pie dish <laughs> and I put pastry on it and the pastry held the kept the oxygen down and you could make <laughs> but i i tried it i try i i honestly the smell in the house and it was just oh i gave up in the end i never did quite make it to, <laughs> into proper drawing charcoal uh, in the oven it should in theory it should be possible in a pastry yeah with pastry 
I, I don't recommend it. Please don't eat it. You know? <laughs> yeah, I think I'll stick to doing it outside on a campfire somewhere. Did you end up ever trying the either pit burns or the earth clamps or some of the older, like dug in the ground versions? I have, um, I have attended earth burns. I have to say I'm a bit more, um, once I'd given up my business and uh, had a bit more free time to go and play yeah. in a way, because I mean, charcoal burning when we were working was qu- a pretty intense day. Um, yeah. Uh, um, so yeah, I, 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 and then by then I'd got a, oh, sorry, I can't help. I've got a bad back, you know, so I didn't do an awful lot of the, um, the, oh, and also I'm hopeless at staying up all night. I mean, you know, nine o'clock <laughs> at night, I'm, I'm, <laughs> um, I, it burn and be damned, you know, I wouldn't be bothered you know, <laughs> snoring. So yes, I'm not really cut out to be a, yeah. an earth burn, charcoal burner, but, uh, it is it fascinating. Like it, make, it doesn't seem like it would make sense really from an efficiency point of view if you're trying to run a business doing it. But just for people who are interested in, in doing it, it seems like it'd be a interesting historical way of, of attempting it and, and seeing how it was done, yeah. Yes. And I and I was I'd always thought, yeah, it's not really efficient. It's a sort of huge hugely labor intensive, da 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 da. But um, I was impressed by the way they were doing it in in France. You know, when we went over to the European Charcoal Birders Convention, because they were doing it on such a massive scale, and they and and they also were doing it very very slowly and controlled. And yeah. they got they did get very good um, ratio of charcoal. You know, they got good quality charcoal out and, and lots of it. But yeah, still a lot of hours, you know, when you're actually sort of costing out your time. I mean, when I was making charcoal, so I would um, have two eight foot ring kilns in my yard and two of us, it was always two um, colleague would go down and at eight o'clock in the morning or sort of quarter past or whatever. And the kilns would be there full of charcoal from a previous burn and we'd get the lids off, you know, the, the fun bit and, and, and empty them straight through a riddle into bags, if possible, at least handling the better. I mean, it's not yeah. best practice to bag straight out of the kiln, but because uh, you can get reignition. Um, but yeah, we, we were doing it sort of once a week. So it had been stood cold for a long time. So there wasn't really any danger. So we'd bag into bags, get the kilns emptied by lunchtime, get, crack up the, we had a wood machine, which was a, like a circular saw blade with a conveyor belt. So it was dead easy just to sort of whiz the wood through and the conveyor belt would pop it into the kiln. You'd have yeah. to kind of, uh, um, just jump in and, and make a little platform at the bottom because you needed an airspace underneath. So there was a bit of jigging around of logs to start with. And then once that was done and you put some kindling in at the bottom, um, in the centre in the bottom, then you could just pile your wood in, pile it in, and we'd have them filled by four o'clock, um, two kilns, and we'd get set fire to them as a, a, a paraffin rag on the end of a stick and push it through the bottom vents at the bottom of the kiln right into the middle center middle so it's starting the fire in the middle and um sit back and uh, you know 
just like the barrel burn I've described, your first hour, and hour and a half at the most, is a free burn where you're just building heat and you're letting letting the smoke steam pile out. Um, so by, say, 5, 5.30 at the latest, um, the heat would have built up to such a stage that uh, you're getting flaring, so you're starting to see the gases being produced. That yeah. point, you settle it down, so you put your chimneys in place, you make sure the lid's down properly so that it's... Um, um, yeah, not, there's not air getting in at the top. So it's just getting air in through the vents at the bottom. And I would go home, have a shower, have my tea, watch telly, go to bed and come back <laughs> in the morning and it would just still be chugging away. Yeah. I mean, really, didn't, you don't need to, didn't need to look after it. Uh, I mean, I should say this in a hushed whisper and you're in another continent, so it doesn't matter. I got planning permission <laughs> on the basis that you had to be with a charcoal kiln all the time because we didn't. I lived about a mile and a half away and I just used to go home and come back the next day and it was absolutely fine. I mean, some people, that, that size kiln has four chimneys and um, four air vents and, and uh, the, the really particular ones would, would move them around every two hours, you know, so that the, you're moving the fire around inside. Don't need to do that. You just need to. <laughs> didn't, didn't make much difference. <laughs> I, was, I was about to ask, uh, you said you would leave it there all night and still be going in the morning when you got mm. there. How, how long did the kiln like that take? I've Those heard. kilns were taking, and um, they were just usually shutting down late morning, so not quite 24 hours, maybe more like 20 hours, probably. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I mean, kilns do vary a lot, so some of them are, go through a bit quicker. Um, hmm. But this was pretty pretty reliably used to go through to uh, mid, mid-morning, late morning, yeah, the next day. Okay. And and that's when you you know your your smoke's gone really thin and wispy and you just take your chimneys off. We had rabbits which were socks, old socks filled with sand and they would just go you have these sort of round ports at the bottom and you just put your rabbit into the port to sort of block it off. Okay. And and a brick and the soil extra soil that was around, you know, and seal it. Um, so, yeah. so these kilns, uh, the kilns you were using, it's essentially then it's just like a, a metal chamber with a chimney at top and air vents at the bottom, and that's all it is to it. A ring kiln is literally just a ring of metal. It sits on square ports, which were square section um, channels that, that sort of were roughly about two foot long. So they would sort of protrude into the kiln about a foot and out of the kiln, outside of the kiln about a foot, and then the ring would sit on top of them. And then welded into these channels is it was um, a circular stovepipe extension. Your pipes would lift off, but it would sit down onto onto a, a circular tube that was sticking up out of the port. And yeah, as I say, so they they were positioned in the points of the compass, eight, eight of them, on a on a on an eight, seven, six, seven, eight foot kilns. We usually have about eight little kilns. Five foot kilns might have just six, but but usually it was eight. Um, there was there. If you imagine that sitting on these ports, there'd be gaps in between, so that had to be filled with soil. So you do need quite a a sort of 
um, soily site, you know, you need to make sure you've got enough uh, earth to just kind of fill in the gaps around and make make a seal from underneath. We actually, um, where I am, we're on a limestone, like limestone pavement, which has yeah. these kind of grikes or cracks in the rocks. And you have to be, I have known, um, you know, uh, burns fail just because they're getting air coming in from underneath. You know, you need to be sure that you've got a sound, ah. sound base. You haven't got any kind of secret channels that where air can get through. Things but, you wouldn't think about until the first time it happens to you. Exactly, exactly, yeah. yeah. And the lid, um, so then, so that's the, the cylinder ring and then a, a sort of cone, slightly cone-shaped lid that just sits down onto a rim um, and lifts off. I mean, they're, they're fairly thin sheet steel so that, you're, you know, with two handles either side, you can hoik the lids off and hoik them back on again. You know. Very first, second, first kill, second kill I had, I think, was a very old one that was incredibly heavy really heavy lid and if it didn't <laughs> just settle down right you were just in real big trouble because you couldn't maneuver it you know it's, i had to i worked out a kind of pulley system to um, lift it off but, yeah <laughs> ah the joys anyway. joys yeah <laughs> it's old technology now i don't recommend ring kilns they're they're, they're yesterday's news you've got to have a retort these days because it's more efficient better for the planet if you're going to be earning it as a business, it sounds like a good idea. Yeah. yeah. For those of us who want to uh, make their own charcoal to fire up the barbecue this summer, probably not going to invest in your retort, though. No. I mean, I was talking to Chuck today who's selling um, kits for making a retort. So, you, you, again, it's in a barrel, but he's sort of selling the rocket uh, stove central bit with the, with the, okay. with the, the pipe work to circulate the gases. And, the, and you can sort of... With the plans, you know, he's he's uh, he's uh, said you can knock one up fairly easily. So have a look for that, you know, if you are interested, um, because I'm sure there's plenty of people doing stuff like that now, making kind of homemade ways of making retorts. Yeah, yeah it definitely sounds like something that uh, if folks are interested in hmm. starting to produce a little more or uh, make more charcoal for themselves, that. <laughs> Well, so you've got the bug, you know, I, yeah. I, I should put a health warning on this. It can become addictive, you know, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. Uh, most of these traditional practices can become a little bit addictive when you start mm. actually making something and seeing mm. how much fun it is to produce something a little bit different. Yeah. It's kind of fun. Yeah. And it's really links us back to such a long way back to our ancestors. You know, I think, uh, I think it's really important. The heritage is going. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Anything you will, you feel like we need to cover still that we haven't gotten around to that you think folks need to know or should know? I'd put it. I'd marked up a thing about flame curtain pyrolysis, which is slightly different. I I described to you about um, doing a slow burn in a barrel, but um, there's also a way of making biochar, which has a has a real history, actually. I want to find you this little quote, actually. Um, yeah. And speaking of, can you also tell people uh, about this book you've written and generally, I mean, it's called Making Charcoal and Biochar. Fairly self-explanatory title, but what went into making the book and, and what made you want to write it? Well, um, there weren't, uh, 
a great deal of books around about making charcoal. Uh, I hadn't been able to find many anyway. I mean, there's a few, been a few manuals and things, and I just thought it would be. Um, I'd, I'd actually, here's, here's, here's the major plug. I, 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 I've written three books now, so I started off writing a book about coppicing because yep. coppicing has been my main passion, you know, it's the primary passion. And uh, I was asked to, um, with a colleague, we, we, we joint project, we, we wrote a book on coppicing and they actually asked us to do coppicing and greenwood crafts. And we said, that's far too big a subject. So we wrote the coppicing book and then they said, oh, we want the greenwood crafts. So I've got a book on greenwood crafts as well. And I just thought, well, it's it's not complete without, writing about charcoal really so this this was a little yeah. bit of an add-on after i'd finished my business but i thought well i'm going to get all my and and plunder all my colleagues knowledge uh, and and get it down in a book so that people can um, <laughs> pass i like to pass things on you know um i think it's important well um, we appreciate it when people do <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i must mention um japanese charcoal um uh, Binchotan, uh, or white charcoal, they call it. They, they make it very, very hot. There's some fabulous um, video on, on on YouTube, I think it is, actually, where uh, where you can watch them doing it. Um, and it's um, it's made it sort of between the kiln reaches 900 degrees centigrade to, to 1,200. I mean, incredibly wow. hot. But it makes this – it's – totally kind of brittle perfect charcoal which is uh, the use for for cooking mm. um so yes we've talked about teeth cleaning um and yeah and in conjunction with that you said there's a japanese video online or uh, this one on on japanese charcoal making um are there any other videos or other resources you'd suggest for people who want to learn about some of these different methods want to see them in action any particular things you would recommend people take a look at i had a little look at one today um um was really uh interesting which of course i'm not not going to be able to find just um so if i was to google um uh, exeter retort so exeter like the like like the town They've got a lovely video. So it's the actual website is www.biocharretort.com. And uh, there's um, there's some great videos on there. I really recommend that uh, site for looking at how retorts work and also talking about biochar. So it covers both bases. Okay. It's a good place for people to take a look at a video. and Yeah. Uh, kind of see how it's operating now that we've described it, get a, get a visual reference. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm going to give up on my, my um, flame curtain uh, reference. I think, Oh no, it's here. It is all along. I, I can't see it. <laughs> it's just right. Staring me in the face. So this is a, a, a little quote from a, a book by John Evelyn, his book, Silver, which dates back to 1664. Okay. And he was describing making small coals and um, it's made of spray or brushwood, which is stripped from branches of copsewood. Um, and they they would 
setting one of the bavins on fire, two man, men stand ready to throw on bavin upon bavin. A bavin is like a bundle of sticks. So they have burned all that lies near the place to the number of five or six hundred. But ere they set, begin to set fire, they fill great tubs or vessels with water, and this they dash on with great scoop. So soon as ever they have thrown on all their bavins, continually plying the great heaps of glowing coals, which gives a sudden stop to the fury of the fire. And while with a great rake they lay and spread it abroad and ply their casting of water, still on the coals, which are now perpetually turned by two men with great shovels, a third throwing on the water. This they continue until no more fire appears, though they cease not from being very hot. After this, they shovel them up into great heaps. When they are thoroughly cold, put them in sacks for London, where they use them for among diverse artifices, both to kindle great fires and to temper and anneal their several works. I don't know what that means, but it's it, they're basically making biochar or small particle charcoal out of brushwood. And um, there's been developed... Um, I've heard it called a Japanese cone kiln, but another name is a contiki kiln. That's the sort of trade name that someone's developed for it, which is like a a, a, um, a cone-shaped kiln where you can burn brash. And uh, unlike the sort of metal kilns I've described, it's got a lid on, this is an open burn. And the reason that kind of works is that it, it burns a lot hotter. And this system called flame curtain pyrolysis um i'm just gonna i don't know whether reading out works for you but anyway i'm gonna i'll i'll read it just to start with the combustion air rolls in over the metal edge of the outer wall and into the kiln the burning gases must also escape upwards so similar to a clockwork motion a counter-rotating vortex is established in the center of the kiln and thanks to the establishment of this horizontal vortex, the air supply to the fire zone is stabilised. The wood gas, which is heavier than air, is kept in the vortex until it's completely burnt. Oh. Thus, the second fundamental principle of Contiki craft is the development of a horizontal gas-air vortex, which provides a stable smokeless combustion engine. So... If you can imagine, you, you get, and you see this in your barrel burn. If you do a hot barrel burn, I told you how to do a slow one. But if you if you keep it really hot and just put bits of wood in, so not, not pack it full of wood, but just put bits in and let the flames come up. The flames do do this kind of circular motion as they come out and they are yeah. actually excluding the oxygen. So you get this flame curtain, as it's called. And... Uh, so you can actually look in and see see the charcoal building up, um, and it's just a hotter hotter charcoal. So you get much smaller particles. It's it shatters the wood up more. But um, so essentially, you're just burning it hot enough. That the flames are coming up and keeping out the oxygen. You get the all the like wood vapors hovering over the wood, burning. Ex exactly. So you're burning them, and I think, I think when you when you sort of perfect that then you're getting a much cleaner burn so it's a way of having a um it's a way that we can have a sort of basic burn um without a retort you know which which is actually a cleaner burn because it's a way of, of recycling the gases and getting them burnt and not just sent out into the atmosphere 
Yeah. So um, I, was, I was interested by your first quote too that you read just a second ago. Um, it sounds like basically you're just making a bonfire with their with their branches, uh, all the cut off little bits, and then they would once they had a big bed of coals, just rake it out and throw water all over it. Yeah, well, this is why I found that quote, put it next to my Contiki kiln, because Contiki kiln, because you haven't got a lid, you can't seal it and put it out like that. You have to douse it in water. So yeah. it's um, it's not ideal for barbecue charcoal because you want that to stay very <laughs> dry. You know, you don't want to end up drying it. But for biochar, if you're making compost, it doesn't matter if it's got quite a high water content. So, yes, yeah. you just you, you once you've finished your burn, you, you douse it with water. And that's what um, Evelyn was talking about. I imagine them doing it maybe on flat ground, but it may be slightly in pits. Um, I mean, you'll know about the terra preta, do you, from the Amazon, where they dig up these I've, dark soils? As I've heard of it. I've read about it a little bit, yes. Yeah. I mean, they reckon that the, that charcoal was made in, in a kind of cone-shaped depression in the ground you know so it was sim- very similar, similar technology mm. huh. yeah how interesting that sounds i was that sounds very approachable too from a just burning stuff for um biochar if you're going to be incorporating it in the garden just uh, mm. you know, uh, everything you've pruned off your orchard or the brush you're clearing away or something like that just pile it up light it on fire and then spray it with water with the garden hose or something like that when you're done yeah yeah, absolutely. And it's um, going to be very good for barbecues, though. No, but you can. Um, you just need to watch out for the pH of it. Um, obviously, got wood, wood, um, vinegar, acid. You know, can be can be a bit acid. So, um, but you can let that water drain away, and you can let it weather with rain, obviously, and, and, and that cleans out any um, acidity uh, yeah. in the product. Yeah, no, that would make sense. Coming back to your books, so we've been mm. talking about charcoal making and your your making charcoal book, and then you said you had two others. Can you just describe briefly what they cover and what sort of what sorts of topics and whatnot you go through in those? Sort of how they're laid out. Yeah. Um, so I, I wrote the first book I wrote was coppicing and coppice coppice crafts, um, a comprehensive okay. guide. Rebecca Oakes and Edward Mills in it. And then the second, as I say, I, I did a follow-up, which was um, Greenwood Crafts, a comprehensive guide. This is sort of like their series that they they specialise in slow burners, this publishing company. But the production quality is really good. It's full of full of pics. So yeah. Yeah, this, this, this book is basically, the copying book is kind of my how I set up my business and how it ran and how I made it pay and, it's got stuff on ecology, but um, a lot about you know, coppice woodlands of, and how to operate a business around it. Then, how to yeah, setting up a coppice business is chapter nine. Um, it goes through um, planting new coppice, you know, restoring old coppice. The sort of you know whether you whether you actually need to own land or whether you just go and rent or you you get a lease on a bit of woodland. You know, I didn't. When I was working, I didn't own a lot of woodland. I just went and got landowners to let me go and, uh, you know, work in their woods, often just a timber for labour arrangement. You know, it wasn't even high value. So, okay. you know, I mean, if once a coppice is really productive, then it can 
be quite valuable and people pay for it. But but restoring old copies, you know, it's often it's quite a lot of cost to that, you know. So, um, yeah. so yeah, just do a timber for labour thing. And then the Greenwood Crafts is a, a book about, yeah, all the things you can add value to wood. I mean, it, you, you'll know loads of this stuff. I've got a chapter on chair making and um, the swill baskets. One of my specialities was co- coracles. Okay, yeah. So, um, yeah, um, I made coracles from ha- hazel frame, ha- like a hazel basket covered in uh, – I didn't, didn't go for the skins. I went for calico and bitumen. Um, but that was a really nice sideline for my business because I do a lot of shows and go and demonstrate making coracles. It was always something that, that be fun. appealed to people, yeah. And, yeah. and and I taught a lot of people to bake coracles over the years and we'd do it on a three-day course and on the third day take the boats out and learn to paddle them, you know, which was, yes. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. So... Uh, so that was the Greenwood Crafts book. And then, as I say, as, uh, you know, we came up with the, the charcoal book. I mean, as I say, the, the publishers were just very kind of generous around the amount of pictures. I mean, I just, oh, this one had so many pictures in. It was mainly mainly pictures, you know. It was, it was sort of quite a picture book, really. Lots, yeah. lots of uh, descriptive stuff, pictures about how to do things. Yeah, I'm excited. I've like I said, I told you my library that I would like that one. They asked for suggestions. Uh, it's their hundredth year anniversary, so they're trying to get a bunch of books in for this this year, and they wanted That's suggestions. Fun. So I gave them a whole list of suggestions of books that I want, and we'll see how many of them they actually get. But uh, I'm hoping that we get a couple uh, along this lines of mm. projects and whatnot I can attempt. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm hoping to get this one, and hope I get a chance to read it. Um. In conjunction with your books, though, just kind of to round this out, um, your website, you, you have a tab for courses, and uh, you say you do freelance woodland consulting. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what you do and how people can get a hold of you if they're interested in something? Well, this is not for your podcast necessarily, but the truth is I I went, I went moved from having a really active coppice business to doing advice for people, woodland advice, Um and it's been great, but I am really fed up with doing it. So I'm retrained. I've retrained as a psychotherapist. <laughs> okay. So, so I'm not um, – I've slightly mothballed the uh, website. I Obviously, I do keep it live and, and, and make sure it's accurate. But um, the things on there that are kind of interest me are more my hobbies now. So I do willow baskets. Okay. Um, so as a sort of once I stop uh, making hazel hurdles, which are incredibly hard, I would typically um, be very snooty about willow because uh, people would ring up, did you make willow hurdles? And I'd say, no, I only make hazel hurdles, you know, because they, they're much <laughs> a superior product. But since I stopped doing that, I, I started getting into willow and I, I love willow, the smell of willow and I make willow baskets for fun. I mean, it's not a business, so, but I do sell them through my website. Yeah. You know, I just, just as a sideline really. And I do like to teach. I'm a sort of natural teacher really. And so I've agreed to do a coracle course this year. So I'm, I'm not doing a lot of things like that because I'm in the fourth year of a training, which is incredibly intense. 
um, yeah. to be a psychotherapist. So I, I kind of, I've promised myself that I'll stay focused on that as a priority and uh, and just do the things I enjoy. I mean, doing this is great. You know, it's, it's, it's great fun to delve back into it, but it's a little bit sort of past life stuff, really, in some ways. Yeah. Okay, that would make a little bit more sense then. Uh, do you want to do a plug for your core course? Do you know when and where that one's going to be for folks that are interested? It's somebody's organizing it, I think, for their friends, really. I So it's not a public kind of thing. I mean, oh. I'm up for um, putting on bespoke courses for people if they're interested in any of the things that I, I do. You know, it's, it's something I would consider. Okay. But it, running a course program and doing all that admin, I mean, that's just dull, isn't it? <laughs> that's not the fun part of it no <laughs> just like kind of doing a podcast the fun part is sitting here chatting with you yeah, yeah. you gotta go through and do all the audio editing and get it all put together and listed and that's not the fun part the fun part is actually sitting and chatting with people but you gotta do one to make the other one work as well so sorry for keeping you up so late but uh, <laughs> you're fine thanks thanks for coming on and chatting with me really appreciate it no it's been great Thank you. Thank you for asking me. There we go, folks. That wraps up another episode. Really, really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to take a listen and uh, hope you learned something from it. Uh, if you've never made charcoal before and you're going to give it a shot now, uh, I'd love to hear about it. Um, I always, I'm hoping that I inspire people to attempt these uh, traditional crafts or skills or anything like that. So if you attempt something because of an episode that we do, I would love to hear about it. Um, yeah fuel the fire to help me help me stay motivated with these so um as always if you have any topic or, or guest suggestions feel free to hit me up email is daniel at folkcraftrevival.com uh, and i really appreciate all the emails i get yeah with that let's uh let's get out there and make something <laughs> <laughs>